It's 5 p.m. Welcome to the WTJX Newsfeed. In today's top stories, the territory celebrates Liberty Day, honoring the legacy of St. Croix native David Hamilton Jackson. We speak with Lieutenant Governor Tregenza Roach and Delegate to Congress Stacey Plaskett. Dr. Esther Ellis, Territorial Epidemiologist for the Department of Health, provides details about the department's pediatric lead testing initiative. During a recent meeting, the Government Employees Retirement System reported a significant financial turnaround to its Board of Trustees. We speak with Administrator for GERS, Angel Dawson. These stories and more on today's WTJX Newsfeed. From the Virgin Islands Public Broadcasting System Studios on St. Thomas, this is the WTJX Newsfeed with Marcelina Ventura Douglas. Welcome to the WTJX Newsfeed, bringing you the latest news and updates throughout our community. The territory celebrated Liberty Day, honoring the legacy of St. Croix native David Hamilton Jackson, a labor leader and father of the free press in the territory. Lieutenant Governor Tregenza Roach was the keynote speaker at this year's annual ceremony held at the David Hamilton Jackson Park in Estate Grove Place. Lieutenant Governor Roach remarked on the lessons we can learn from Judge Jackson and how we can apply those lessons to current social and political issues. We would probably all admit that we're living in a time of narcissism, that so many people are only concerned with their image, they now have followers on every platform, um, their likes about the things that they say or they believe, and it's so difficult to take out from that narcissism the focus on community. In keeping with years-long tradition, Raymond Williams, coordinator of the Grove Place event, honoring the legacy of St. Croix native David Hamilton Jackson. Celebrating this year again, yet some 80, 90 years almost later, David Hamilton Jackson, we call him the Black Moses. His impact on our community, on uh, the Virgin Islands, has made significant, has significance to me because just standing in this environment, because of him and others in, this, in that group, we were able to own property. He went to Denmark to defend and increase wages. He was a mentor to a lot of people in our community. Today, I stand here as a multi-generational person later that gave and continue to give. Delegate to Congress Stacey Plaskett remarked on how Jackson's advocacy for civil rights and social justice influenced her own beliefs. D. Hamilton Jackson really has inspired so much of my own work. And in particular, coming to Washington when I first came in 2014, people talked about the role of a delegate and what we were relegated to. D. Hamilton Jackson on his own with the Virgin Islands people behind him went to the authorities in Denmark, went to kings and queens and advocated for us, was able to win on our behalf. I think of that as our heritage, our calling, to be able to speak truth to power. D. Hamilton Jackson, his last, most lasting phrase to us was, do my people do. Not speak my people speak, not type on social media my people type, but to actually do something, be involved, 
be out there, be a part of the community, and be the change. Funeral services were held today at the Charlotte Amali High School's Ruth Thomas Auditorium for the late former Senator Lloyd Williams. Senator Williams served in the 10th through the 15th legislatures of the Virgin Islands. At the start of the week, Governor Albert Bryan Jr. declared a state of emergency in response to the ongoing water crisis on the island of St. Croix. The Department of Health announced its initiative for pediatric-led testing on St. Croix. We spoke with Dr. Esther Ellis, territorial epidemiologist for the Department of Health, on their initiative. The Department of Health has launched this new project titled Safe Haven, a lead-free family initiative. And really the objective of that initiative is to increase awareness about lead exposure and also conduct blood lead level testing for children. Uh, it's important to remember that lead exposure can have an impact from the womb and early childhood development, which impacts attention spans, hyperactivity, and IQ levels. So we're really looking at the risk of lead exposure, not just in children, but um, pregnant women, and uh, also in adults, it can even cause uh, irritability and aggressive behavior and lead to negative impacts uh, virtually in every system of the body. Yesterday, the department began its pilot program testing at the Alfredo Andrews Elementary School. This week, we piloted the project at the Alfredo Andrews Elementary School, and we'll be testing uh, there only for the remainder of this week. On Monday, November 6th, the Department of Health, the Virgin Islands Department of Health, will offer blood lead level testing to all children zero to six years old on the island of St. Croix. This will be 8.30 to 5 p.m. Monday through Friday at the Community Health Van, which is parked uh, adjacent from the department's modular, red modulars at the estate Richmond, uh, in estate Richmond in Christiansted. And uh, there's a particular a particular link to register as well for a child to be tested a parent or guardian must register the child on our online portal and give consent for the child to be tested i can provide that link it's um going to be available today wednesday and uh you can also access it a little bit easier for you to find maybe is the doh.vi.gov website and our facebook page which is at virgin islands DOH. Uh, and just to highlight too, this testing is going to be provided at no cost to the child. Uh, and one of the reasons why we're doing this blood lead level testing is it will allow us to develop a baseline to determine the health impacts of lead in children as we look toward a lead-free future. Uh, and our long-term goal is to test approximately 1,000 children, young children starting on the island of St. Croix. And as resources become available, expand that testing. Dr. Ellis continued. There's also a hotline. I know we've had a couple of people calling in wanting to get uh, their children tested for uh, lead, their blood tested for lead. If you can't register online, you can also call our hotlines and someone that answers the phone can help walk you through the registration process. That um, hotline is also open 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Monday through Friday, and those numbers are 712-6299 or 776-1519. Also to the other website for the registration once it opens up to the public for those that want to do it online. health.usvi.care forward slash pediatric dash lead dash testing. During a recent meeting, the Government Employees Retirement System Board of Trustees 
received the report of significant financial turnaround for the system. GERS reported a positive cash flow of $18.5 million in contrast to the previous year's deficit of $31 million. We spoke with Administrator for GERS, Angel Dawson, on the pension system's financial well-being. I would actually take you back to my testimony at the legislature back in August, uh, where we testified that while the the funding notes, the special purpose vehicle that was established has been very helpful, uh, the issue that we would continue to have is that the, uh, the annual payments uh, over the next uh, 30 years are not even. Uh, so there's a period where we're getting, like, for instance, this year, we're scheduled to receive $158 million and have received $124 uh, for the fiscal year so far, uh, with the balance of $34 million expected, hopefully before the end of this calendar year. Uh, but then in subsequent years, uh, and I don't have my uh, information right in front of me, uh, but it goes down to uh, like $89 million, somewhere in that uh, range. So uh, a lot of the funding, which is in excess of $3 billion, uh, is going to come on the back end of the of the funding notes. So uh, for the early years, uh, it's uh, possible, and we project that there's a period uh, of about two to three years where the GERS could actually uh, be facing, uh, I don't want to call it ins- insolvency, but could be facing uh, deficits. So <clears throat> we have to be very careful um, and uh, certainly build our reserves uh, to be able to weather that uh, that expected uh, shortfall and uh, short term, uh, we're we're fine, uh, but we you know we can't say that uh, that uh, all of our challenges are behind us. We have to be very careful and manage our resources very carefully as well. In our discussion with Administrator Angel Dawson, he provided clarity to reports that Board Member Trustee Nellan Bowery wanted better financial reports from the system. Uh, well, it's not the financial statements in the sense of the audited financial statements that are issued. And we actually just received our uh, 2022 audited financial statements, which are independently audited. I uh, was referring to some of the supplemental uh, uh, tables uh, and information that was provided at the uh, board meeting, um, where even Trustee Bari, who asked the question, uh, indicated that the information is all there. However, it could have been uh, presented by our financial um, department uh, uh, a little bit clearer. Now I understand that they have presented it exactly the way that it was previously agreed uh, with the board before my arrival, but I'll be working with the uh, finance division to, uh, to, uh, to make it perhaps a bit clearer. The information is all accurate, uh, but maybe it could be presented a bit uh, clearer. The Brian Roach administration's solvency plan for GRS is to utilize the RUM cover over matching funds. It does so with the anticipated rate change of $13.25 versus the $10.50 in its current state. The expectations of the payments are predicated on the $13.25 uh, per approved gallon versus uh, the current 1050. Uh, and this would explain, since the extender was not yet passed by Congress, uh, why we received less than the $158 million 
that was uh, that is pledged uh, was pledged for fiscal year 2024. Uh, however, uh, there's some degree of, of confidence uh, that uh, has been expressed that the extender will at some point be uh, approved and that we will receive uh, the uh, shortfall of $34 million more or less um, within the fiscal year. So uh, I have uh, reason to be hopeful that that will in fact happen. Mr. Dawson remarked on whether the apparent expedited changes in the system could be attributed to the change in leadership. Uh, well, I have been very clear in uh, pointing out in various testimonies that I do have a good team, uh, senior leadership team at the GERS, and I work very well with them. Uh, some of these uh, items were clearly already in progress, uh, but, you know, um, a good leadership uh, certainly helps to move things along uh, smoothly and quickly. So I would uh, want to believe that... Uh, my experience, together with the experience of the team, makes a great combination, and that's why you're seeing uh, the progress that you're seeing. Recently, the Virgin Islands Department of Agriculture announced the reopening of the St. Croix Abattoir. The department stated they took a necessary hiatus to focus on key maintenance concerns and, during the temporary closure, focused heavily on machinery maintenance and parts replacement. Senator Franklin Johnson has been a vocal advocate about the abattoir reopening, making comments as recently as a September hearing to Commissioner of Agriculture, Dr. Lewis Peterson. You spoke about the abattoir, and again, I think likely I know of farmers who have losing their, their, their stock, cattle in particular, because of the abattoir continuously opening and closing, and you were not in the position at the time, but I would need someone to please tell me a little bit about how much money was just put into that abattoir for it to be closed again. And, and I, St. Thomas is even worse. They got to get the animal across. But I know of a farmer who continues to have to take his tractor, dig a hole, and bury his cattle because of the abattoir not being able to slaughter his animal. And you're talking about losing an animal 2,000, 3,000 pounds. That's a lot of money going to waste and a lot of beef going to waste. Mm -hmm. So help me about the status <clears throat> of how much money was invested in the abattoir, and how soon will we get this up to run properly? Senator, um, really, as of today, <clears throat> and since May 1st, we have invested $52,000 in refurbishing the abattoir. We caught up with Senator Franklin Johnson to speak on the reopening of the abattoir and whether he has been in contact with farmers since the opening of the facility. I still got some reports that it is not fully in operation. There are still some issues with it. I haven't spoken to the commissioner since they made the announcement of the opening. I intend to have conversation with him. Um, he have answered my call when I call him, and I appreciate that. And we have had some candid conversation because I said to them very clear that there are farmers that are losing their livestock and have to dig hole and pretty much bury this, the carcass. And, you know, that's a very serious situation for a farmer that has a, a, a cattle to lose three, 4,000 pounds of meat because of our abattoir is not in operation. I haven't heard from the commissioner since this information of it being open. So I, I, I can't say that to the magnitude of how good the operation is thus far. 
I definitely will be looking into the matter to find out about the conditions of the abattoir if it is fully operating. In my conversation with the commissioner, he was explaining to me that the facility is good, the equipment is bad. And my, my take to him was, why are we not buying new equipment and continuously trying to fix these equipment? Has this thing been plaguing us for a couple of years? Well, and if we had come to the legislature and said, look, we need this amount of dollars to buy the proper equipment to fix this facility, I, I don't see which one of the senators or any one of my colleagues would have said no to that, you know, because it's, it's farming is very serious to us. We're out here on our own and God forbid a ship can't come. What do we do? You see what I'm saying? And it's very important that we encourage our livestock farmers to increase the growth of their poultry, their beef, their pork, in case there is this disaster. As we know, there's war blooming on the east, and it's, it's a very serious situation for us here where we depend on everything coming in. And we have to be able to sustain ourselves in the case of emergency somehow. And farming is the road to go. So I definitely will be reaching out and asking the status of the uh, abitoir, how up-to-date is it, and what needs to be done to make sure that we meet our farmers' need that they can you know, do their livestock and do it well. While the department has announced the reopening on St. Croix, the St. Thomas Abattoir has been closed for several years and is reported to be in disrepair. Well, St. Thomas is a whole different animal. Yeah. We're going to have to build a brand new facility on the island of St. Thomas. And, and there are livestock farmers over there, not as much as St. Croix, but they are. And once there are people that has this interest, we, we need to meet the needs of our community, especially when it comes to farming. We made several attempts to receive comment on the reopening from Commissioner Dr. Louis Peterson. For those interested in abattoir services, call the department at 340-778-0997, extension 3305. After running aground off the coast of St. Thomas, the Bonnie G has now been moored at the Crown Bay Sandfield Dock as of yesterday. Ricardo Castrodad, the public information officer for the U.S. Coast Guard Sector San Juan and the U.S. Virgin Islands, gave the details. The Bonnie G vessel ran aground on 4 October, uh, and, and that day, um, Coast Guard responded and our boat forces in the U.S. Virgin Islands helped rescue uh, the 12 people who were uh, who abandoned uh, the Bonnie G uh, following the grounding and they were able to assist them and bring them into to safe harbor. Um, no injuries were reported, um, but the vessel was uh, left to ground. And then from that point on, uh, there was a, an incident command established and a series of agencies that came together, Coast Guard, federal and local agencies under an incident command to work with the responsible party and the entities that were hired by the responsible party to help them uh, work with the pollution removal threat from the vessel. And to that point, they hired the National Response Corporation and Playland Marine LLC to work with the pollution removal, remove all the oil and uh, diesel and, and lube oil from the vessel and, and the affected tanks prior to doing the salvage operation. So that was first accomplished. It was initially reported to the Coast Guard approximately 13,000 gallons of diesel and uh, approximately 700 gallons of lube oil were aboard the vessel. 
but those were uh, preliminary reports. Um, probably sometime next week, we'll know exactly how much material was removed uh, officially. But for now, that that's just the estimate that we have. And then uh, Don John Smith uh, was able to work during the end of last week and during the weekend to prepare the vessel for for refloating. We had to wait a couple of days because of the weather and execute that operation yesterday. Um, so they worked all day uh, with two tugs to refloat the vessel and uh, tow it to Safe Harbor at the Soundfield Dock where it's currently moored. The Coast Guard is also continuing its monitoring of the diesel spill that was reported by the Virgin Islands Water and Power Authority. Cleanup efforts since uh, since we came to know about the incident and the NRC report was accomplished, um, cleanup efforts had been underway at the facility and a lot of progress has been made. Uh, so just to briefly summarize what that entails, basically is the tank that basically um, had the discharge has been emptied out and all that remains in the tank is um, sludge and residual oil. And they're going to be working to further uh, empty empty that out. But all the product there has, has uh, basically been reduced to sludge and the residual material. The secondary tank, everything uh, has been collected from that tank. Uh, the, the secondary containment, I'm sorry, um, which is what was breached and later went to the soil that has all been emptied out and what they're looking to do with with that secondary containment is decontaminate it and assess where the breach may have occurred and let's see if they can identify that and then work is uh, still being accomplished on the land side uh, where they dug deeper trenches and collection points to better collect uh, the material that is still on the soil, and then they'll be determining at a later point uh, how much uh, soil they're going to have to remove that has been contaminated. No impacts at this point to the waterway, but it's something that we're closely monitoring and will continue to monitor. As we continue in the news feed, we turn now to our regional report. A United Nations expert on human rights in Haiti said Tuesday that he is alarmed by the rapid spread of gang violence and the bleak future awaiting children in the country. Reporting from AP News shares remarks from William O'Neill, who spoke after a week-long visit to Haiti, his second visit for the year. The spike in violence is said to have displaced more than 200,000 people. An estimated 200 gangs operate in Haiti, with the largest groups controlling up to 80% of the capital of Port-au-Prince. O'Neill noted that a major challenge is the fact that many gang members are children and said that it would be necessary to implement rehabilitation and reintegration programs for the vast majority. He noted that gang violence has spread to previously peaceful areas in Haiti's central and northwest regions and that more than an estimated 500,000 children have no access to education given the spike in violence. Haiti's national police which is reportedly understaffed and under-resourced, have struggled in its fights against gangs, with only some 4,000 officers on duty at the time in the country of 11.7 million people. In our final update on the news feed, we turn now to the territory's weather forecast. 
Here's the latest look at the short-term forecast for the Virgin Islands. I'm meteorologist Eric Weglars. Bright sunshine continues this afternoon at St. Croix. There's the chance for a few showers right at sunset. Temperatures will hold in the upper 80s and then fall gradually towards sunset. Temperatures at St. Thomas and St. John will also be similar in the upper 80s to near 90, but falling as the afternoon goes on and the chance for a scattered shower or two is possible at sunset. Tonight at St. Croix, we'll find scattered showers early and and then probably cloudy skies after midnight. Lows will fall back into the middle and upper 70s. Winds from the east at 10 to 15 miles per hour. At St. Thomas and St. John, we'll find scattered showers again early and then decreasing clouds after midnight. Lows will fall back into the upper 70s to near 80. Winds are a bit stronger at 15 to 20 miles per hour. Gusts as high as 25 by early Thursday morning. Thursday future sunshine giving way to increasing clouds and scattered showers at St. Croix. Temperatures are similar to this afternoon in the upper 80s to near 90. Winds in the east at 15 to 20 miles per hour. And at St. Thomas and St. John, we'll find sunshine early and then clouds increasing through the afternoon. Chance for a few scattered showers as well. Temperatures will reach the upper 80s to near 90. Winds again remain fairly strong at 15 to 20 miles per hour out of the east. More sunshine as we go into the end of the work week and into the weekend. That's the latest look at your short-term forecast. I'm meteorologist Eric Weglars. We are at the end of today's WTJX News Feed. I'm Marcelina Ventura Douglas. Join me every weekday at 5 p.m. Be sure to download the WTJX app. And if you missed a part of our news, listen to it on demand wherever you get your podcasts. We now return to All Things Considered.